0: Last last Sunday evening, we we started a new eight week series, uh, eight week Sunday night series, looking at the the Lord's Prayer. And we've called it 57 Prayer because there are 57 words in the original Greek version. And last week, I, I described the Lord's Prayer in two ways. I said that it was a timeless prayer given by Jesus. To all disciples of Jesus, which includes us. There's no use by date on this prayer. This is a prayer that we can use here, now, today, 2009. I also said that it was a perfect prayer for imperfect people. That if you're here this evening and and you struggle to know what to pray about, you struggle to know what to pray for sometimes, well, well, here's the answer. Here's the blueprint. Here's... The guide. And I want to add a third description this evening. It's a radical prayer. Radical in what we're actually praying about and praying for. For example, we're praying that God's character would be respected. We'll tease that out in a moment. We're praying that all the hungry would be fed. Give us this day our daily bread. We're praying that forgiveness would characterize all our relationships. Forgive us our sins as we forgive each other. And that's not how the world we live in operates. That's not what the world is like. And therefore this is a radical prayer. And during this series, what we're going to do is we're going to work through the prayer line by line... Phrase by phrase. And so last week we started with our Father in Heaven. Our. Do you know at times we can and we should pray this together. Because this is a community prayer. This is a family prayer. Our Father. A prayer of intimacy. As adopted children we dare to. In fact, some traditions of the church, before they say the Lord's Prayer, they actually introduce it by saying, we have the nerve to pray our Father in heaven. It's a prayer of intimacy. And it is in heaven. So yes, we approach with confidence like a kid to a dad. But we also must remember to approach in reverence. If you were here on a Sunday night during our series in Ecclesiastes, you'll remember this phrase. God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, stand in awe of God. And so it's that balance between friendship and fear. And again, we'll tease that out in a moment. Between intimacy and respect. And for those who weren't here last week, I, I suggested that we all consider using this prayer throughout the weeks of this series and beyond. If you don't already use this prayer, let me give you three practical ways to use this prayer. The first is use it as a template or as a framework for daily prayer. In other words, as you go through the prayer, use each phrase as a launch pad. So, whenever you pray, give us this day our daily bread, you actually take a moment to thank God for the food you enjoy. But you also maybe pause to remember the poor and the needy and the hungry in our world. So, use the Lord's Prayer as a template. Secondly, simply repeat it word for word, slowly. A few times every day, each time you jump into the car by yourself, leave the radio switched off and actually say the Lord's Prayer over and over until it becomes embedded in your thinking and almost woven into the fabric of your subconscious. Third way to use the Lord's Prayer is that you can actually take a clause one by one as your prayer for the day. So, for example, on Sunday... Our Father in Heaven. On Monday, hallowed be your name. On Tuesday, your kingdom come. And if you work your way through that, you will get through it by Saturday. And then back on Sunday, start it over again as your prayer for the day. But let me just offer those three ways to use this. And as I say, as we go through this eight-week series, I would love you to actually grasp hold of doing that. And I would also love to hear some feedback. If, if you don't normally use the Lord's Prayer and choose to do it during this series, then I'd love to, to hear some feedback. But this evening... What I want to do is I want to look at the first petition because after we've got our heads around who we're praying to, our father in heaven, then we come to what we're actually praying for. And the very first petition is this, hallowed be your name. Four words which J.I. Packer describes as the most basic request of the whole prayer. And then he makes this rather bold claim that if you understand it and make it your own, you have unlocked the secret of both prayer and life. But for many people, the first petition of the Lord's Prayer is actually the most difficult one to get our heads around. It's the most difficult one to come to terms with. One guy has said this, what are we to make of the abstract sounding words like name and hallowed In the secularized world of today. And that's a fair point. What does that that phrase, hallowed be your name, mean to anybody outside of these church walls? But although these terms may sound abstract, we've got to wrestle with them. And the reason we've got to wrestle with them is because this is the starting point of this prayer. And possibly the starting point of all prayer. This is where we're taught to begin not with ourselves how often when I pray do I start with me and yet Jesus here said no that's not where you start you've got to start with your focus your attention and your thinking directed Godward hallowed be your name now what is your name and why were you given it Uh, I've said this before, I'd love to go around here and actually hear why everybody was given the name they were given. Do you know, one of the interesting, and I'll use that term rather loosely, one of the interesting developments of modern culture is the tendency to name babies after celebrities. In Britain in 2007, there were 4,000 baby girls named Kira. Can anybody tell me why in 2007 the name Kira was so popular? After which celebrity? Kira Knightley, who starred in which film, or those the films? Was there a trilogy? Who can tell me? Pirates of the Caribbean, one of the most popular movies ever, and people think that as a result of that, 4,000 baby girls in 2007 were named Kira. In 2007, there were also 1,600 baby girls called Brittany. Okay, I'm going to say nothing. Here's my two favourites, but. Four baby boys in 2007 were named Snoop. Now who can tell me who that's after, who those four baby boys are named after? Who is it? Snoop Dogg, apparently the American rapper. But here's my favourite of all time. In 2007 in Britain, six baby boys were named Gandalf. Gandalf. Now, people have just opened their mouths. but, But that's true. It's true. But you see, names are still important. Because whenever you mention somebody's name, you make connections. You get a picture. A picture comes to mind. You associate certain things with that name. So, for example, and I've said this again before, whenever I say the name Gordon Brown or Simon Cowell, You along with everyone else in this church will begin thinking something about those people. Something about their character. Something about their reputation, their background, their role, their family, their influence. Names matter. Names communicate. But no name is more important than God's name. And nothing is more important than what you associate, what you connect, and what you picture alongside that name. And one of, if not the, key reasons why God's name is so important is because his name is actually a revelation of his very person and character. We discover what God is like and who God is via his name but as we have already discovered this evening there are many names for God and of God in scripture someone has described the names of God as little miniature portraits that actually enable us to build up a clearer a brighter and a more colorful and dynamic picture Of what the God of the universe is really like. And so one dimension of hallowing God's name involves the need for us to deepen our understanding. Our concept of God's name. Let me show you uh, another approximately 50 names of God. What do they say to you about God? What do they communicate? What pictures come to mind as you see those words being emphasized? those familiar words and phrases to you. God has revealed himself in these names. So what has he revealed to you about who he is? His character. His person. When I suggested using the Lord's Prayer as a template One of the things that you can do is that when you come to that phrase of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name, that maybe for a period of time you take each individual name of God and actually use that as a template for your prayers. As you discover what those names mean and what they say, just as a matter of interest, a couple of brand new books that have just come on that I've come across, the top 100 names of God. There's not even 50 up there. Top 100 names of God. Or this one here, Incomparable Explorations in the Character of God, which includes a whole section on the names of God. And if if you're looking to reignite your prayer life, maybe, uh, could I encourage you to consider picking up a these? I have a heap of these here tonight, so if anybody does want one of these, uh, you can have it. You will have to pay me for it, mind you. But if you didn't come prepared, uh, you can give me it in another time. But just just an idea. But at this point, we're going to pause. I'm going to break the sermon up tonight. Uh, And we're going to intersperse it with song, And so we're going to sing, just in response to what we've been thinking about. Father in heaven, how we love you. We lift your name in all the earth so let's stand together and maybe during the singing of this song if if you don't necessarily want to sing those words then can I just encourage you to maybe think of some of the names of God that come up on that screen that mean a lot to you that during the singing of this song you could maybe just take this time to pray and thank God that he is the provider that he is the healer that he is all those things that we saw on that screen let's stand together So one of the ways we, we hallow God's name involves enlarging our understanding of God's name and God's names. But then let's, I want to look specifically at that word hallowed because it is, it's not a, a word in popular use today. One of the only times I, th- I think I've heard it recently is where people talk about the hallowed turf of a particular football or rugby ground. That is often the only time I ever hear that word used. But when Jesus tells us to pray, hallowed be your name, what he's primarily asking us to do is to remind us to ask the Father to ensure that he is worshipped as holy. That he is adored with reverence, with honour and respect by everyone, everywhere. Do you know whenever human beings encounter or approach God, the most striking attribute that confronts them is the holiness of God. For Moses, it meant that he had to kick off his shoes as an act of reverence. For Isaiah, it meant a recognition of just how messed up he was. A man of unclean lips whenever he was confronted by the holiness of God. In fact, of all the words in the Old Testament to describe God, holy is the word that occurs more often than any other. The Creator is infinitely different to the created. He's indescribable, as we sometimes sing. He's incomparable, the reason why the guy, Andrew Wilson, used that as the title for that particular book he's released. Because God is incomparable. For Moses and Miriam, whenever they were given the opportunity to lead a time of praise with people, One of the lines that they sang was this at the top of their voices. Who is like you? Who is like you? And then that phrase, you're majestic in holiness. Holiness is the very godness of God. The sum total of all his glorious perfections. Again, whenever Isaiah was given a glimpse of worship in heaven, he saw God seated on his throne. I wonder what that looked like. And God was surrounded by flying angels. And they were declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. John's later vision of worship in heaven was very similar. This time it wasn't angels, it was these four extraordinary creatures. But their response was exactly the same. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, you see, it's God's holiness that screams the loudest to anyone or anything that encounters Him. And so we're going to scream that. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, and I've changed the word slightly early in the evening. Our song shall rise to thee. And then we're just singing two verses. Only thou art holy, there is none beside thee. Incomparable. You're perfect in power and love and purity. Let's stand again together. So, in this prayer, and indeed in, in all prayer, we've got to begin with a recognition of the holiness of God. Just how distinctively different He is. Just how above and beyond the created order He is. Isaiah then later records these words from God Himself The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy, He is the one you are to fear. And to hallow God's name is to embrace and to maintain an appropriate fear of God. A reverential fear on account of his holiness where shoes get removed, where knees bow, where sin disgusts and where worship begins. And there is this incredible balance to strike in our relationship with God between friendship and fear. That right at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer we say, Our Father in Heaven, that term of intimacy, that term of deep affection. But immediately after we've said that we say, Hallowed be your name. Friendship and fear were familiar but never over familiar. And one of the very real challenges we face today is, How do you uphold the holiness of God today? Society seems to favour flippancy. And irreverence. reverence. So what does it actually mean for us as Christians, as the church, to uphold God's holiness? Well, let me head off on a wee bit of a tangent. But I hope the connection is is clear. Do you know, one of the saddest aspects of the Old Testament story for me is that neither Moses nor Aaron got to enter the Promised Land. I've I've always... (laughs) I've always really struggled with that dimension of the Exodus events. Two guys who risked so much for God, who put their lives on the line, who led people who very often didn't want to be led. And after 40 years of wandering around in circles in a desert, God tells Moses that the best he can hope for is a glimpse of the promised land. And that's only from a distance. Because once he's got that glimpse, he's going to die. And for me, that just seems incredibly unfair. Why did God not just let Moses journey into the promised land and enjoy the moment and then take his life? Well, the final verses of Deuteronomy 32 offer an explanation. They also offer a very sobering warning. Go up to Mount Nebo, across from the Jericho, and and view Canaan. The land I'm giving the Israelites. And there on the mountain you will die. This is because both of you, and that was Moses and Aaron, it's because both of you broke faith with me in the presence of the Israelites at the waters of Meribah Kadesh, in the desert of sin, and because, and get this, because you did not uphold my holiness among the Israelites. Therefore, you will see the land only from a distance. You will not enter the land I'm giving to the people of Israel. So what actually happened at the waters of Meribah Kadesh that caused such offense to God, that was such a problem? Well, Let me turn to Numbers chapter 20. I'm reading from verse 6. The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gar- gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. And he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels. Must we bring you water out of this rock? And then Moses raised his arm and he struck the rock twice with his staff, and water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me enough to honour me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I gave them. So, what went wrong i mean moses did something water gushed the community drank the thirst was quenched so what's the big deal a couple of things moses was told by god speak to the rock what did moses do he thumped it twice and secondly moses implies that it's him and aaron doing the miracle must we bring you water out of this rock? seems that Moses at this moment in time wanted the credit. And what was the result? He's not going to enter the promised land. And that to me appears harsh. He seemed to obey to a point. But not totally. And I realize there's probably a whole sermon in that. <laughs> But for this evening, here's what I want to just stress from a sad incident. God is pretty direct with Moses when he says, you did not uphold my holiness at that rock. And the bottom line was that Moses was disobedient. He didn't do what God told him to do. And so when it comes to the first petition of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name, when it comes to the challenge we face of upholding God's holiness in our society, in our culture, in our day, then our obedience to God is absolutely essential. We can't just go halfway. We can't just play at this. We can't be lukewarm. We've got to be fully committed, totally devoted completely surrendered, sold out. And so we hallow God's name as we broaden our understanding of God's names. We hallow God's name whenever we recognize and uphold His holiness. And then just to finish. We hallow God's name as we actually live holy lives. Someone has written that we cannot hallow God until God hallows us. And the amazing thing is that he has done that through Christ. That's what this is about. When God looks at me, I know it's a cliche, I know it's a phrase and a song. He sees not what I used to be, but he sees Jesus. And one of the primary reasons that Christ died was to make us holy, according to Ephesians five. We are now saints. That's how God sees you if you're a child of his. And again, are we sinners saved by grace or are we saints who happen to sin? But you know, whenever we realize what God has done for us, we must continue to be holy by what God's spirit does in us. That we are invited into partnership with God. To cooperate with his indwelling spirit. And what is the spirit for? What does the spirit do? What is his role in our lives? One of the key roles in our lives is that the Holy Spirit wants to make us more like Jesus. To sanctify us. To make us distinctively different. To make us holy. To ensure that our lives are characterized by purity. And so we ask God to make us holy in our actions what we do. We ask God to make us holy in our words, the language we use, the phrases we choose, the conversations we have. We ask God to make us holy in our thoughts, in what we think about, what we imagine, what we reflect on, and what we fantasize about. Hallowed be your name, God. What have I been thinking about today? We ask God to make us holy in our emotions. To react appropriately and not angrily. To weep with those who weep. To rejoice with those who rejoice. And we ask God to make us holy in our worship. That where everything we do, everything we do, is an act of worship to a holy God. From the songs that we sing to the job we will perform tomorrow. It's an act of worship, God hallowed be your name make me holy in everything I do hallowed be your name means a desire on my part to be holy as he is holy so just as I finish one of the really interesting aspects of the Lord's prayer is that this phrase that we've looked at tonight is the only petition that we will continue to pray and say for all eternity The Puritan Thomas Watson, and I know some of you love the Puritans, and although the the phrasing is is slightly uh, antiquated in many ways, yet the the depth of what they said is incredible. Here's what one of them said. When some of the other petitions shall be useless and out of date, as we shall not need to pray in heaven, give us our daily bread, because there will be no hunger there. Nor will we need to pray, forgive us our trespasses, because there will be no sin. Nor lead us into temptation because the old serpent is not there to tempt. Yet the hallowing of God's name will be of great use and request in heaven. Because we shall be singing, ever singing hallelujahs. Which is nothing else but the hallowing of God's name. And so as we close and as we prepare just to sing our final song before we leave. Isaiah 29 verse 23. When they see the works of my hands. They will keep my name holy. They will acknowledge the holiness of the Holy One of Jacob. And they will stand in awe of the God of Israel. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And what I'd love us to do is acknowledge what God has done for us. Who he is, his character. And before we head out into another week, let's just stand in awe of him.